Yo, today's QOD is take charge of your thoughts. You can do what you will with them. Here we go. Quarter of the day show. I'm your host, Sean Croxton of SeanCroxton.com. Thanks so much for tuning in to our Finance Friday episode. We talk about all things money mindset. We've got Dr. Norman Vincent Peel on the show. And today, the doctor is going to help you to have a proper philosophy of money. He's going to help you to reshape your thoughts. He's going to help you to get beyond your thoughts of lack and debt when it comes to money and replace those thoughts with prosperity thoughts. And this clip is longer than usual. It's about 20 minutes or so. But I stumbled upon it when I was watching YouTube about a month ago. And I will tell you, I was cracking up. This one is funny. It's an amazing story. And there is so much wisdom within it. I know you're going to enjoy it. And I encourage you to listen through it the whole way through. Here's Dr. Norman Vincent Peel. So that's it. The first element in the reason for a positive thinker getting positive results is his attitude toward a problem. Well, the second thing about a positive thinker and why he gets positive results is that he thinks positively. Now, it's very important how you think. Actually, you can destroy yourself or you can create yourself by the manner and quality of your thoughts. Now, there are essentially two kinds of thinking, negative and positive. The individual who thinks negatively does a very dangerous thing. He constantly sends out of his mind negative emanations that activate the world around him negatively. And I'd like to tell you a little incident in my own self-education as I conclude, hoping that it may be of some benefit to you. I happen to have a farm up in Dutchess County, New York. And some years ago, some of my neighbors got together one night at a dinner party. Now, as I remember it, there were present at this dinner party that night, quite a galaxy of people, and they all lived around there. One was Tom Dewey, who was governor of our state. Another was Lowell Thomas, dean of American broadcasters. There was also there Eddie Rickenbacker, and Mr. J.C. Penny, and a number of others. And this was a very interesting group of people, all of whom had ideas. And it is always uh, exhilarating and stimulating to associate with people who have ideas. So they got to talking about what did this country need more than anything else. And they finally decided that what this country needed more than any other thing was a new type of magazine that would have a positive connotation to it. 
that would be filled with articles and stories of a dramatic nature about people who had uh, overcome some great problem. And they got very excited about this. And along about 11 o'clock, they decided actually to inaugurate this magazine. They even named it. They called it Guideposts. And about 11.30, they elected me editor of this magazine and told me to go out and start it. I said, well, gentlemen, I sure do appreciate this election as editor of a non-existent magazine. But I said, even though I am a preacher, I wasn't born yesterday, and I know that in order to successfully float any such enterprise, you've got to have a little of this green stuff that's commonly referred to as capital. And I said, I haven't any available myself, but I do happen to know that all of you are very well healed. Therefore, I will now pass among you for subscriptions. Now, friends, I am sometimes pained by the reactions of human nature, as in this instance, the alacrity with which these men suddenly discovered that the hour was late and they had to go home. And they left me, the editor of a non-existent magazine, with no capital and no publishing know-how, which was, you might reasonably say, an unpropitious situation. And I was about to chuck the thing in the wastebasket. But the idea had got hold of me. And I, I had to have some money, though, to, to float it. So I sat down and I said to myself, where can I get some capital? Who do I know who is very well off, who is at the same time of a generous disposition? It was only later that I was to discover that these two qualities are seldom found in the same person. But I happened to think of a friend of mine named Frank Gannett, who lived at Rochester, New York. Now, Frank was kind-hearted and humanitarian. He was a pushover for anything that had any good objective. So I went up to Rochester, and I gave Frank a sales talk, told him what this magazine was going to do and how I needed some money to help get it started. And after a long sales talk, he gave me $700. Now, why he didn't give me 500 or 1,000 even money, I'll never know. But he gave me 700 But I never believe in looking the gift horse in the face. And I took the 700 but now I had the $700, and I hadn't the slightest idea what to do with it, except I knew for sure I wasn't going to give it back to Frank. <laughs> then I heard there's a business in this country called the List, L-I-S-T business. You can buy any old kind of a list, but the, the most expensive list is what's referred to in the trade as the good givers list. I wanted to send out a mailing. So I bought $700 worth of the good givers list and sent out a mailing and got back $7,000, which I figured wasn't a bad return on the investment. And with this $7,000, we built up this magazine guidepost. We got it finally up to 40,000 subscribers. It depended for success upon volume sales, and volume sales was what we didn't have. But we did get it up to 40000 But costs were mounting more rapidly than the increase of our circulation, and we were getting into a bad way. I might say parenthetically, 
and I never did forget it. I got some of the nastiest letters from the suppliers that you can possibly imagine. For example, the man who sold us a typewriter on time, lots of time, wrote me the nastiest letter. Wanted to know why we didn't pay for the typewriter. I never even answered him. Or any fool should have known we didn't have any money. That was Well, finally, finally, we got so that we were just about to fold. And I called a meeting of the board of directors. Now, you may have been in gloomy meetings in your lifetime, but you were never in one as abysmally gloomy as this one. You could cut it with a knife. The director sat down here along a table. Now, I had a stack of bills. The biggest stack of bills I ever saw. I got one of those old spindles at about four foot high and put these bills on the spindles. And those bills had other uncomplimentary remarks on them. And old dates. So I plunked these bills right down in front of my director. And I wanted to develop a bill psychology. I said, look at those bills. And let a dead silence fall. Finally, after a while, a fellow down the end spoke up and he says, What do you know? Look at those bills. <laughs> the most profoundly creative remark I ever heard in my life. Now, we had invited a woman to this meeting, and you probably wonder why, and I can enlighten you, because on one previous occasion, this woman had uh, donated $2,500 cash money to Guidepost. And we figured that maybe... Lightning might strike twice in the same way. So while our conversation was ostensibly directed to one another, it was actually pinpointed to her. So finally she spoke up and she said, Can I say a word? Well, I said, Yes, we'd be delighted to hear from you. And I said, I don't know whether you will or not. She said, You know, I get the notion that you gentlemen are hoping that I will give you some more money. Why, I said, how in the world would you get that idea? <laughs> well, she said, I'm going to put you out of your misery. I'm not going to give you another nickel. This didn't put us out of our misery, but more deeply into it. <laughs> she asked me, said, she said, do you know why I won't give you any more money? I said, why won't you give us any more money? She said, because I don't think you've got a proper philosophy of money. I said, what do you mean, a philosophy of money? She said, what is your philosophy of money? I said, it's to pay these bills. She said, that's just what I thought. Why, she said, if I give you more money, it'll just go down the same drain like good money after bad, and you'll continue to be in debt. But she said, a proper philosophy of money is that a man knows that money in itself has no inherent value. It's only a tool by which an imaginative person builds something. Well, I wasn't interested in any philosophy of money. I was interested in the cold cash. But she said, I tell you what I will do. I won't give you any money, but I'll give you something of far greater value than money. Well, that astonished me because I couldn't figure anything of greater value. She said, I will give you a creative and dynamic 
prosperity idea. And with this idea, you can get all the money you need to float this magazine. Now, she said, let's face the situation. Why are we in the situation we're in? She said, we lack L-A-C-K everything, don't we? I said, yes, we do. Well, then she asked, why do we lack everything? Now, right now, what I'm going to say is one of the greatest ideas that anybody ever gave to me. She said, we lack money, we lack subscribers, we lack equipment, we lack imagination, we lack ideas, we lack support. And she asked, why do we lack everything? And she answered her own question. She says, we lack everything because we have constantly, consistently been thinking in terms of lack and we have thereby created a condition of lack. Now, I've never heard anything like that in my life before, and I scratched my head. I said, well, we do lack. <laughs> and we have been thinking lack. Oh, I said, maybe the girl has something. Her point was that you yourself, in your thinking, create the condition that actualizes. Well, I said, what are we going to do about it? Why, what are we going to do about it, she said. You've got to stand up and tell these lack thoughts to get out of your mind. Now, this lady's name was Tessie. And I said, look, Tessie, what you say proves essentially that you're an uneducated woman. <laughs> because any psychologist in the world will tell you that if you mount a frontal attack, on an unhealthy thought pattern, instead of exorcising it or driving it out, you drive it more deeply into consciousness. And I added, we don't control our thoughts. Our thoughts control us. I'll never forget the look of disgust that registered on her face as she said, that is the most puerile thing I ever heard anybody say that you don't control your thoughts. And she asked me, don't you remember what the great Plato said? Well, frankly, I hadn't the slightest idea what the great Plato said. But I didn't want to reveal my ignorance, so I said brightly, to which of the many familiar statements of Plato do you refer? She said, I refer to the one you never heard of in your whole life. shall never forget hearing Tessie say what Plato said. And this is it. Take charge of your thoughts. You can do what you will. Will Well, I said, all right. What are we going to do about the lack thoughts? She said, flush them out. I said, when do you want us to flush them out? She said, right now. So we sat there for 15 minutes fleshing out these lacks, which I'll recommend as a good daily exercise. All right, she said, you can stop fleshing now. Your minds are empty. Which in your case, she added, didn't take very long. Now she said that your minds are empty. 
You've got to be, you've got to act fast because the human mind will not for long remain empty. And these lack thoughts are sitting out here now, ready to get back in where they've been so hospitably received for so long. The only way you can keep them out is to substitute something and substitute it fast. Now she said, I want to ask you a question. Would you like to have a prosperity dynamic thought substituted for the lack thoughts? I said, I sure would. All right, she said, how many subscribers do you need to keep this magazine going? I didn't know, but I pulled a figure out of the air. I said, 100,000, I believe, would do it. She said, you have 40,000. I said, yes, you need 60,000 more. I said, yes, smart girl, go to the head of the class. <laughs> All right, she said, do you want that 100,000 subscribers? I said, we certainly do. All right, she said, I want you to look out there, and I want you in your mind to see 100,000 people who have paid a subscription for guideposts. And I looked out and I said, they look mighty dim. Then I happened to turn around and I looked into Tessie's eyes. Now, Tessie doesn't belong to my church. She's a Jewish woman. One of the greatest combinations of spirituality and sagacity I ever knew in my life. I looked into her eyes. She's just diminutive. Big black eyes, however. And as I looked into her eyes, a phrase crossed my mind. The exalted look of the believer. There is a kind of personality that appears once in a while in this world called the believer. And he it is who sweeps everything before him. He believes great things into being. And the minute I saw this believer look in her eyes, I saw reflected there. I actually did, so help me, my 100,000 subscribers. And I leaped to my feet and I said, what do you know? I see them, I see them. And she leaped to her feet and she says, isn't that great? Now that we see them, we have them. I said, how's that? <laughs> oh, yes, she said, now that we see them, we have them. And she added, now let's get down on our knees and thank the Lord that he's given us 100,000 subscribers. Well, now, friends, I'll pray with anybody at any time. <laughs> and I got down on my knees with Tessie. But privately, I thought it was sure pushing the Lord awful far. <laughs> but I want to tell you something. You should have heard the prayer Tessie offered. I've heard some of the littlest prayers in my lifetime. I've offered some of them myself. But this was a terrific prayer. She didn't ask the Lord for anything. She thanked him for everything in advance. <laughs> Including our 100,000 subscribers. And I got so excited, I could hardly wait for her to say amen. And the minute she did, I leaped to my feet and looked down to where those bills had been. And there they still were. <laughs> I had the idea that the Lord was going to come down with some sweet chariot and carry them all away. But that isn't the way he does business. When he wants to change the situation, 
How does he do it? By some magical means? Not at all. He changes people, and changed people change situations. And that's exactly what happened here. She began to develop ideas about seed money, and creative ideas. My directors now came unfrozen, and they began to throw ideas out on the table, one after the other, lots of them. About 90% of them weren't any good. But now their brains were working at full capacity. They were thinking positively. They were seeing creativity in action. And about 10% of those ideas took hold with the result that these bills melted away. And tonight, Guidepost has not 100,000 subscribers, but 2,150,000 subscribers. And the magazine is said by DeWitt Wallace, owner of the Reader's Digest, the greatest publishing sensation in history that Guidepost is the greatest nonprofit interfaith inspirational magazine ever established in the United States. And it's taken now by over 2,000 firms for all or part of their employees. It's the 23rd magazine in the United States in point of readership. Now, I don't say all this to advertise Guidepost, though I do. Incidentally, receive the byproducts of any illustration that I may happen to use. But I say this because it illustrates the law, a great law, of successful achievement. And what is that law in brief? If you want to accomplish any great thing in this world, in any line of business, number one thing is to pray about it. Or you pray about it to be sure it's a right thing. For if it isn't a right thing, it's a wrong thing, and no wrong thing ever turned out right. And then secondly, you form a goal. You establish an objective, not a fuzzy one, but a sharp, devised, defined goal so that you know exactly where it is you want to go. Then you test this goal to be sure it's right. Then you put it in the conscious mind, and you hold it there until by a process of intellectual osmosis it sinks into the unconscious, and when it gets into the unconscious, you have it because it has all of you. And you give it constantly the good old positive follow-through. So there you have it. The attitude toward a problem as a creative, exciting challenge and opportunity, every one of which contains the seeds of its own solution. You think positively in order to send out positive emanations to reproduce themselves in kind in positive results. And on this basis and by this method, positive thinkers always get positive results. That was Dr. Norman Vincent Peale closing out the week on a Finance Friday. He is the author of one of the most famous self-help books ever. It's called The Power of Positive Thinking. You can find that at Amazon as well as your local bookstores. If you want to watch today's entire talk, it is on YouTube. It is called Best Way to Pray by Norman Vincent Peale, Classic 
keynote. That is it for me. Please leave a rating or review for the show on iTunes. I appreciate it. Go over to my website, seancroxton.com. Pick up my free ebook, The Money Mind Reset, Five Steps to Changing Your Relationship with Money. I know you're going to love it. And uh, that's it for me. You have an amazing weekend. I'll see you on Monday. I'm out. Peace. Thank you.